Susan. It's so great to finally be able to get together again. Oh, it sure is. And I really appreciate you picking up the bill. I'm happy to. I've got the extra cash. Since we've all been driving so much more again, I've been using GetUpside, the free gas app that pays you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get paid cash when you buy gas with the GetUpside app? Yes, up to 25 cents a gallon. Cash back every time I buy gas. Does that actually add up to anything? Some months, I make 200 to 300 bucks. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the free GetUpside app now. Download the free GetUpside app now in the App Store or Google Play to save up to 25 cents a gallon when you buy gas. Use promo code FILL for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's up to 50 cents a gallon on your next fill-up. You can cash out anytime to PayPal or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free GetUpside app and use promo code FILL for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code FILL. Hey guys, I'm Sammy J, and we're back with season three of my podcast, Let's Be Real with Sammy J. As part of Gen Z, I love that my generation is inspiring change, and I'm so excited to talk to more celebrities, activists, athletes, and influencers to find out what they're passionate about, how they're changing the world, or helping others feel less alone. Season three is going to be exciting, revealing, and empowering. Listen to Let's Be Real with Sammy J on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Maddie and Kenzie Ziegler, and we have a podcast called Take 20. We want to kick back and hang out with you, but we know you're busy, so let's take 20 every week to talk, to vent, to get real. 20 minutes to catch up and talk about everything that's on our minds and yours. Listen with us for 20 minutes when you're in the car, putting on makeup, working out, cleaning your room, avoiding doing your homework. Take a break from whatever you have to do and hang out with us. Listen to Take 20 on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Record Store Society, a production of iHeartRadio. It's a very amorphous genre. Because, like, yeah. I mean, I know genres are nonsense, but uh, it's yes. fun. As we've said many times before, it's fun to say words like third wave ska. And the only way you get yeah. to do that is by. Yeah, or like avant pop or like experimental punk. Like, what is that? That's post punk, right? I mean, there's a lot we could say about this, but uh, oh, hey, hi. Uh, welcome to our record store. I'm Seth. This is Tara. Uh, feel free to look around and uh, just give us a shout if you need anything. Uh, it, it is a lot of nonsense, but the funnest kind of nonsense, which is like <laughs> dissecting genres and who fits into those genres. Cause I, you know, I think most artists don't really want to be like pigeonholed into any genre, but, um, oh, Hey, look, it's Erica Campbell. Erica, you are the perfect person for this conversation. Please come in here right away. Hey, how's it going? Hi. It's going really well. Erica, I remember uh, a while ago, you wrote an article, I believe, it, was it for Vinyl Me Please? Is that who you wrote it for? Yes. Uh, are we are we talking about post-punk revival music? I'm glad you remember. Because yeah, we're talking, well, first we're just talking about post-punk, but then of course that leads into the post-punk revival. And then, now I'm getting ahead of myself, but are we in a post-punk revival revival this very moment? Yes, we I, have to be. I kind are, of right? feel like we are, right? It's hard to say. It's almost like you don't realize it until it's over and then you put a name on it. And how long can it last before it becomes its own revival? Because like, for example, okay, think about Sonic Youth. Sonic Youth, for argument's sake, we can call them post-punk. You, you could put all kinds of genre names on them, but for argument's sake, 
they lasted from original no wave slash post punk in like the 1980s up until the revival in like, you know, the early 2000s. They were there the whole time. So were they a revival of themselves or maybe like specific Sonic Youth albums were revivals of the old post-punk sound? Oh. I don't know. No. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have the answer to this. They're like the cockroach that never died. <laughs> maybe so. The um, New York City cockroach. But but let's let's define our terms just in case anyone in the store doesn't know what we're talking about when we say post-punk. Here, here's my definition, and I want both of you to please tell me if this matches with what, with what you think as well. Uh, punk, I think everyone can kind of like get the vibe of punk in their head. And when you go post-punk, in my head, I go, okay, punk plus, and then you add one more element. And usually that extra element is like artsiness or pretentiousness or like a dance beat, you know, or maybe like um, world music. So for example... The, the, the number one post-punk band in my head, and I'm talking about original post-punk, is Joy Division. Joy Division to me is like, that's the definition of post-punk. Because they're punk, but they're more than punk. They're punk plus. And then- Punk plus. If that side, uh, if, if this is like, you know, a fork with two prongs on it, one of the prongs is Joy Division, and the other prong is Talking Heads. Because Talking Heads was the same thing. They were punk, but they were also kind of world music, kind of danceable, kind of mm. disco. And I, I'm not sure- I would sure. go further on that second prong and say a certain ratio. Please c- continue, because that, that, that's all I've got. I would say a certain ratio for that second prong, because I think Talking Heads for me is more like in the middle. Mm-hmm. A certain ratio had more jazz elements and like funk. And so that for me, definition of post-punk for me is like, still kind of liking the DIY aesthetic of punk, but also pushing the mold of rock further to to include more like dub or funk or disco even. Is that where Gang of Four is then? Is Gang of Four over on that side? I would say, yeah. Hmm. Erica, what are your thoughts? I love the idea of uh, punk plus. I agree. (laughs) I think it's, I think it's more along the lines in my mind and, Obviously, it's like what you imagine when you hear something, you can put a label on it. But it does feel like if you just kind of stick to that clean punk sound and then add anything that you want to it, whether it's like R&B or gospel or Mm. I mean, you can really go with any other genre of music as the topping. But the main dish is still punk and you can kind of get away with putting them in that category. Saying punk plus gospel reminded me of a band that I really love here in Atlanta called Algiers. And I remember (laughs) when um, someone called them post-punk. I'm like, how? But you just said it. Punk plus gospel equals Algiers. So yes, that makes perfect sense. Huh. Very interesting. And then, of course, the revival happened. And that was like in the early 2000s when basically uh, I – I want to put it all on Interpol for a second. Interpol basically was like, hey, we're Joy Division now. It's like that scene in that movie where Tom Hanks is on a boat and then the pirate shows up and goes, I'm the captain now. That was Interpol. Interpol showed up on the boat and went, I'm Joy Division now. <laughs> and then they had to like, you know, all go- we all had to go with Interpol now because they were now Joy Division and-, and rightfully so. They did a great job. So, so there we are. <laughs> yeah. I love that idea. And I love that. I, I love the idea of a, it being like a ship and also it just being in New York City, right? Like oh, yeah. all of these bands just kind of watching Interpol and Interpol not always getting the credit they deserve for that, you know, 
revival, as it were, because so many other bands received more commercial success, but they were really the first ones to show up and be like, we're doing it. Everybody look this way. And plus, and like you said, New York, I feel like I don't want to give too much away because obviously I'm leading up to playing the High Fidelity game (laughs) where we're going to count down our top five post-punk revival albums. But real quick, at that New York moment, there was Interpol, there was Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, there was, uh, who am I forgetting? Um, The Strokes. The Strokes, of course. There was not New York, but the White Stripes were around, TV on the radio. All of those groups, depending upon who you ask, could be considered post-punk revivalists. And anyway, this this is a big topic. <laughs> there, there, there's a lot to kind of pour through here. So, Erica, I'm glad you're here. Um, now, if if I were to go to your website, Erica, which I believe is CampbellErica.com, is that correct? That's correct. If I went there, would I be able to see like all of your different writings from all the times and all this stuff? Yeah, and there's a lot of writing about this very topic. I think there's, I recently did liner notes actually for The Strokes uh, Room on Fire. So there's a lot of touching on this topic of what post-punk revival is and who, you know, the players were. Oh, okay, this is gonna be fun. Because I feel like all of our lists if they're Venn diagrams, are barely going to overlap because they're, they're such broad worlds. And um, yeah, this is going to be interesting. So I, here, I'll, I'll kick it off. I'll kick it off. I got my record sitting here. I'll, I'll, I'll do the first one. Um, one thing I was trying to figure out, and I wasn't sure how I felt about this, was how new was I going to let a post-punk revival album be? Because I think it's still happening. I think the post-punk sound is like still alive right, right now. And Mm -hmm. so I decided to forget time as long as it happened basically not originally. Like, so I'm considering like the 1970s, 1980s to be the original. Actually, I guess I can't include the 70s, right? Because if it's post-punk, punk punk was barely breaking in the late 70s. So it would have to be the 80s to be considered post-punk, right? Do y'all agree with that? Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, me too. Okay. So if that's the case, so I I wasn't going to allow anything from the 80s. So it all had to be past that to be a revival of post-punk. So um, here's my list. Starting with my number five. This is very modern. This is a 2019 album. This is Signal by Automatic. So this album, uh, I really, really love. Um, it's on Stone's Throw, one of my favorite labels. And it's a trio of three musicians, uh, Izzy Glaudini, uh, Lola Dompe, and uh, Haley Saxon. Um, Lola is formerly of Black Black, a band I've talked about many times uh, in this store. Put them on my um, employee recommendation shelf and all that stuff. I love the band Black Black. Uh, Diva Dompe was in it. Both Lola Dompe and Diva Dompe were um, the daughters of Kevin Haskins, uh, who was in Bauhaus. So in many ways, they are literally a revival because they are the children of that original like 1980s punk era. So um, I do find it adorable that Kevin Haskins of Bauhaus's daughters have their own like post-punk movement on their own, uh, Black Black being one of them, but now Signal, um, uh, th- this album by Automatic. 
uh, I can go on and on about how great this is, but I talk about the Dompe family a lot, so I won't go into too much detail. Um, this is an album I've told Tara 500 times that she would yeah. love. <laughs> I don't think she's ever I'd, listened to it, though. Have you? Not yet. I'm still making my way down the list, though. Yes. All, of all of our uh, our things, our playlist. I, I believe this is the newest one on my list. And uh, I, I don't know, Erica, have you heard this album? I haven't, but I, I'm making a note right now to listen to it. It's a lot of fun. I I, I defy anyone not to like it. I, I, I don't really know what, what, what the person would have to be feeling to dislike this fun, fun post-punk revival music. But um, it's also interesting to me, too. I, I found this information around the same time, um, which was... So, so this is a all-female group um, who, you know, write their own songs, record their own, their own instruments. To this day, uh, the Go-Go's are the only all-female band who wrote their own songs and played their own instruments to reach number one on the Billboard charts. That's wild. That doesn't make any sense, right? But that's that's a fact. That is a fact in the world. What? That's disturbing. Yeah, it's a little frightening, actually. Yeah. I, I don't know what to do with that information, but I don't like, like it. Bill, Billboard Top 100. Yes, the number, number one ones, but album like, in America. The Go-Go's are the only all-female band who play their own instruments hmm. and write their own songs to go number one. Period. Wow. The end. That's the end of that's the end of the list. It's a one band list. And a I, one band list. I say that because um, Automatic took their name from a Go Go's song. That's that's why I've I've lumped these two oh. together. That uh, I don't know if it's a direct commentary, but it's at least a uh, implied commentary. So uh, yeah, it's interesting. That's crazy. I had no idea that was a thing. I don't like it. Don't like it one I bit. I don't either. <laughs> maybe it's that, upsetting. Maybe it places too much importance on the billboard charts, though. Maybe we shouldn't really care about what sells, because yeah. what does that really mean artistically? Yeah. But uh, it's, it's also, a Also, we should talk about it more. Maybe it'll cause someone to do something about it, like <laughs> yeah. push someone to be the number two on the list. Yeah. You would think it would have happened by now, but I don't know. I don't know. Uh, anyway, I, I, I will move on to my number four. Uh, the year is 2014, so still pretty modern. Uh, but I'll be honest, I could have gone with any album from this band because I just really like this group. The year's 2014, the album is Mess, and it is by Liars. <laughs> Are either of you Liars fans? I am not a Liars fan. I could see that. Yet. Okay. Yet. No, yeah. <laughs> I'm not not a Liars fan. I guess I just don't really, like, I'm not very familiar with their music. I've heard them, but I just don't go to their music and listen to it, you know? I mean, it's also hard, too, because their vibe kind of changes from album to album. It's, um, it's difficult to pin down what Liars is. I do think it's easy to call them post-punk, but... Like, for example, Mess is very much like a dance record, which is weird. And then there's like Drums Not Dead, which is like primarily percussion and yelling. And then there's like, oh, I don't know, uh, <laughs> Wish You, which is which is basically a Radiohead album. Like they, they they dive around a lot, which is really cool and I really enjoy it. But um, but yeah, they're hard to pin down. Um, 
Anyway, I won't go to, to, uh, on too much about liars, but I will say that there's this amazing uh, a documentary that I've brought up before, which is called uh, Kill Your Idols, where they talk about the original no-wave New York scene and then the revival scene uh, happening, you know, the 2000s with Interpol and all these other bands that we mentioned. And Liars is uh, featured heavily in that documentary, and I love that documentary. I think everyone should watch it. It's called Kill Your Idols. I've been meaning to watch that one. It's good. If you ever need to borrow the DVD, let me know. Because I, I don't really know where it is in the world, if it's streaming or something. I don't have a DVD player. <laughs> oh, I hear that a lot. <laughs> I wonder if I can just buy it from Apple or Amazon or whatever and stream it. Could be. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Rent it, whatever you call it. Rent it, buy it. Something like that. <laughs> All right. I'm going to give my number three. I think this one is probably going to be the most obvious one, something we've touched on already. Number three, the year is 2002. It's Turn on the Bright Lights by Interpol. Finally, we got Joy Division back. And like, (laughs) and it was also like Joy Division having some fun which I really liked because because I, I don't get me wrong I love Joy Division but Joy Division is pretty much sad like there's there's not a lot of fun maybe their singles as opposed to their albums had a bit more fun yeah. things like Digital or even uh, Level Terrace Apart Transmission yeah yeah she's lost control like those those are a bit more dancey a bit more fun but their their primary two albums are pretty much sad fests and Interpol had a little more fun a little more energy a little more danceable a little more Gang of Four perhaps. And so, um, yeah, that's it. Do, yeah. Do, do y'all have a strong, strong feelings towards Turn on the Bright Lights? I have strong feelings towards Turn on the Bright Lights. Oh, wow. <laughs> Good feelings. I like them a lot, a ton. Mm-hmm. How about you, Erica? <laughs> I mean, I love the album. I, I always kind of look at it as like when it was happening, when that album came out, I wasn't an Interpol fan and I didn't, I kind of listened to the bands that were coming in after them and getting attention. Mm -hmm. So I kind of had to go back and then listen to Interpol and then have the realization of like, oh, this album, like my favorite album couldn't exist without this album existing first. So I have like a lot of like, uh, I don't know, like respect for that album because of what it created for me personally. So yeah, big fan. For sure. I I kind of feel like (laughs) post-punk, this is so silly. I feel like post-punk is music for college art kids. (laughs) Yeah, I can see that for sure. And, and like, like, like we've been saying, punk plus, you know, where yeah. it's like, hey, we can all get into punk. But if you're an art school kid, that's that little plus. You that's go. like for reals. You're still. Yeah, <laughs> that's what that's the only thing you listen to. Not really. But, but no, no, I, yeah. I, 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 I stand behind what you just said. <laughs> I, th- I think you've made a good statement there. That yeah. feels true. <laughs> I mean, when that album came out, I had a bunch of friends in college who were, you know, printmakers, art students, whatnot. And I would go and hang out with them. I was a a foreign language major and I would go and hang out with them in the art building at night sometimes while they were finishing up whatever project. And they were blasting this album all the time. Right. Yeah. So I kind of feel like, yes, this album for me reminds me of those art kids in college, but I do kind of feel like that post-punk in general feels like art student music. Yeah. But it's good. I mean, I listen to it. I'm not art student. It just feels <laughs> that. It just feels like that to me. Yeah. I, I can say this because I, I was an art student. That was my major. And oh. <laughs> um, 
we, uh, especially um, when we were like doing things like painting or printmaking and stuff, we would have like a stereo in like the studio space and people would bring in their CD wallets because that's how old I am. And you would uh, pop in a CD into like the um, the studio CD player and you, you would, you would you know, play whatever people were into. And different people like different things, but can either of you guess what the one band that every art student on my campus in, uh, in Portland, Oregon, we all could agree on one band. Do, could, do either of you have a guess about what that could be? It's not Interpol? It's not Interpol. Peaches. I wonder if it's even in the same genre. Uh, the Shins. <laughs> nope, not The Shins. <laughs> not The Strokes. Nope, nope. No. Wait, are, are, is it the same genre? No. Did you say that? I, okay, I, it's not I, the same genre. Would you like me to tell you? Yeah. Radiohead. We could all wow. agree throughout the entire art school. What? We all loved Radiohead. <laughs> Anyone, Which art school is this? <laughs> this, this, this was yeah. Portland State University. So we were uh, we were sad, mopey kids walking through the rain. And, uh, you know, of course, everyone had our own other things, too. You know, with, with some people I knew, we could put on some Fugazi. Some people could put on some Cure. But we could all relate to Radiohead and put on a Radiohead album at any time. And we were all okay with that. <laughs> It's so funny. Art school. I would not have, exp- I honestly wouldn't have guessed Radiohead ever. They, they, they've made an imprint that. on many people's lives. Good old Radiohead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but I don't know. I Gosh, people are going to hate me for this, but I feel like, so growing up in the 90s, mm-hmm. when I first radio he- heard Radiohead, it was totally different from the Radiohead that is now. Well, especially now, but like maybe those early 2000 years. Mm-hmm. Um. And not that they're vanilla or anything, but like, I don't know. I just always am surprised that they have so many just giant, huge fans that they cross so many, I don't know, personalities. It's always just surprising to me. But you may have hit on something there when you said maybe vanilla. That is maybe that's why. It's the yeah, fact true. that they are um, an experimental rock band that appeals to a very yeah. broad spectrum of people. Like, um, I'm sure you know this from being a last FM stand like yourself. Uh, if you go on like the, you know, site wide, what are the most streamed bands of all time? Oh, it's, it's Radiohead probably. It's, yeah. Yeah. Radiohead. It's the Beatles. For some reason, Red Hot Chili Peppers are always up there. It's like, but it's I feel these- like there's something about that. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like there's something about kind of wanting something that appeals to everybody, but having like a little personality to it that <laughs> yes. makes you feel unique while listening to it. Right. That makes it like connect with lots of people. I, I think you're right. And I, I also think probably if there's 500 people, I'll bet Radiohead is one or two of their favorite band, but I bet it's like 300 of their like fifth favorite band, you know? And yeah. so because of that, it's got a broad appeal. A lot of people can like Radiohead, but a few people love him to death. So so anyway, anyway, yeah. we're talking yeah. about Interpol. We're talking about post-punk. We're not talking about Radiohead. I mean, you don't think that they fit in post-punk at all, like in any part of their no. career? Personally, I don't. I, I think they were much more influenced by like, you know, the um, electronic vibes that were happening in Europe at the time more than punk ever did. Like, yeah. They didn't yeah. really touch on punk maybe a little bit in like their in first the couple albums. Yeah. yeah. Pablo Honey, maybe Creep. a little bit in the bends. Yeah. Yeah. That's about it. I, I but anyway, uh, I'm going to move up two more years. So 2002 is in the rear view mirror. We're moving up to 2004. This is Fabulous Muscles by Shoo Shoo. I won't rest until I don't care. La 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 la. 
I have wanted to get a Shushu album on these lists. I think ever since we first started working in this record store. And it just hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened. It's been on my short list many times. Um, Shushu has perhaps even made it. Yeah, I think Shushu did make it to the employee recommendation shelf, but yeah. never on a list. So I'm very happy that this has happened. And um, at least for me, this album in particular, Fabulous Muscles, the, the main guy, Jamie Stewart, he was basically like, hey, I'm going to make a pop album just, just to see how it would turn out if this wacky noise, goth, you know, whatever you want to call Shushu group made a pop album. And to me, when, you know, real sad, mopey, you know, goth noise group Shushu, when they made pop, it became post-punk. Just because it had those elements and like and like when they kind of mixed together, it made like a new formula. And I really enjoyed that. So I do think that if anyone out there in the world is like, what's the deal with Shushu? Should I listen to Shushu? Fabulous Muscles is the gateway drug. That's the way in because there's a hmm. lot of fucking hits on there. And when you hear them, you go, oh, this is what's hidden under those layers of noise. This is what's underneath all that fuzz and moaning and 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 ambiance. There's there's these little pop gems <laughs> under there. And um, I think Fabulous Muscles is the way in for that. That's that's the way you get there. Um, I, I read a really great um, review recently where they were talking about the new Shushu album. And they said a phrase that I think is very true and very mean, which is, if you're a big Shushu fan, the worst part of it is you have to listen to a lot of Shushu. And Aww. I think <laughs> that's true, but also mean <laughs> because it, it's That's mean it's true because they're very prolific so if you do if you are a shushu fan you literally have to listen to a lot of shushu but mm-hmm. yeah if you take it the wrong way it means that like it's a terrible endeavor to have to listen to shushu <laughs> so yeah it's like an album every year almost oh, oh almost plus, there's one plus they have a Bandcamp page that you subscribe to and they give you at least three or four new songs every month like I do. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the most recent one, they just did a cover of, oh gosh, it was a Weezer cover, In the Garage. They did a cover of In the Garage. I haven't even listened to it yet. I received it in my mail inbox this morning. I haven't wow. even popped it open. I wonder if they're just like, what do we do today? Oh. What are we going to record today? <laughs> they seem busy. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Erica, what are your feelings on Shushu? I have not listened to Shushu, even though I enjoy talking about Shushu because I enjoy the way that it sounds coming out of my mouth. (laughs) Um, And I appreciate the fact that they release a lot of music. I'm the type of music fan that, I don't know, I get stuck on bands. So I will listen to like a band for a month straight and not really visit anything else, which is a little dangerous as a music journalist. But I feel like having that amount of music for people to choose from, it seems overwhelming, but it almost feels like a challenge. So mm. I, I'm i excited to, to listen to them. I, I highly recommend Fabulous Muscles. I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, yeah. If, if Actually, I- you said that Fabulous Muscles is the gateway drug, so yes. to speak. I My first album that I ever heard of them was Le Foray or whatever it's called. The oh that one I think yeah yeah the yeah the one after yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's yeah, a good yeah. one that too was the yeah. first one that I heard and I liked it but I didn't really revisit them until this new album this this came out this year right the the newest one with the eyes on the cover yeah yeah oh no that one came out this year yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I listened to that and I really liked it too but I, maybe I should revisit some of the older albums yeah no um uh, if anyone out there in the record store uh, wants some good shoe shoe here are the three I think that will get you hooked. 
Number one is Fabulous Muscles. That's the great, like, uh, gateway drug. Then uh, Dear God, I Hate Myself, and then Always. Those three have some real, like, hooks and some real pop gems, and they don't get too drony and too noisy for two extended periods of time. Because there, there's some some definite Shusha releases that are just drone and just Ooh. noise. Wait, which ones are those? That's what I want to listen to. There's this one that Jimmy Stewart put out solo called Drugs. It's a series. Oh. Each song is the exact same length. I believe it's like 12 minutes and 58 seconds, something like that. Huh. And each one is just drone. And it's wonderful. But if you're not a noise fan, it's harder to kind of get into that world, yeah. you know? But uh, anyway, I, I really love Shoo Shoo. I think it's a great group. Um, and once you're in, you're in for life. Shoo Shoo forever. So, um, <laughs> the Shoo Shoo Club. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but that brings me to my number one. Uh, this one also is, is, again, pretty pretty new. But, but man, oh man, do I love it. The, the year is 2014. Uh, the band is now known as Preoccupations, but at the time they were known as Viet Cong. And the album is called Viet Cong. Man, oh man, this album just punched me in the face. I loved it. It took it was it was a real nice like stir fry of all the flavors I loved <laughs> in music. Because it, 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 it's it's a little bit doom metal. It's a little drony. It's a little like straight rock and roll. It's a little punky. It's a little yelly. It's a little experimental. It's a little <laughs> bit of everything, but it definitely has that kind of Joy Division post punk vibe, which I really really appreciate. And I've liked everything that Preoccupations has gone on to do, but this this release, because um, did y'all ever listen to Preoccupations pre-Viet Cong, back when they were still called Women? Did you ever hear that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I really yes. liked Women. I always forget that they were that before Viet Cong, but yeah. I loved that same Viet Cong album as well. And I love Preoccupations, Preoccupations. Oh, exactly. No, I, I, yeah. I think they, they honestly, they succeed wherever they point their energies, but- um. But yeah, I, I, for some reason, to me, this moment, it was, yeah, just post-women, just pre-preoccupations, pre, uh, pre Viet Cong, the album, I think is like, at least for me, my favorite little moment of theirs. Uh, Erica, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I know little to nothing about this band, but I'm very intrigued about the different iterations of, we're talking three different names, are we talking different lineups? Are we talking different sounds? Like what does each iteration have? Is that specific album the one that's post-punk or are all of them? Like I, I'm just curious to know more. Um, their, their lineup does change ever so slightly. And it's, it's actually got a really strange, strange history. Um, so when they were in Women, one of the members, which I believe there are siblings in that group, one of them went off and joined the group The Dodos. And then I believe one of them, who's a sibling of one of them, <laughs> went off and started uh, one of Tara and I's other favorite bands, which is Cindy Lee. And then another sibling from that group, I believe, started another group called Faux Fur. I'm going to get many of these facts oh. wrong. <laughs> but... But but yeah, it, it is. It's a very slight change from Women, which is an incredible group. And then somehow I believe Chad Van Galen is involved somehow. My friend Jared is like Whoa. a diehard oh, yeah. fan in this he world. Is. And he'd be able to fill me in better than anyone else. But 
Um, yeah, Chad Van Galen is in there somewhere. But yeah, women turned into Viet Cong. Viet Cong basically is the same band as Preoccupations. They just had to change their name because they realized that it was a pretty dumb name for a band. <laughs> and, oh, it's. I think it's maybe um, insensitive to oh, for sure. a historic... Oh, okay, I thought... Yeah, yeah. I, I, I thought when you were saying it was a silly band name that it was like just a silly name, not like the, the history. Like you shouldn't name your band that. Sorry. Oh, it, I think <laughs> it's silly in an offensive way. They should not yes, have called yes. their band Viet Cong. Why not both? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah. Then Viet Cong turned into Preoccupations, which is basically the same band. But I will say that I think they got a little jammier, a little dronier, and a little more like, I don't know. The songs got longer when they became full-blown preoccupations. And women, it was much more of like a straight rock group, more or less. Still a lot of experimentation. So that one album in between Viet Cong, they had kind of the experimentational rock sound of women. And they were starting to get a little droney, like they would in preoccupations. But right there in the middle, the album Viet Cong, that really was, at least for me, the sweet spot. And there's a song on there called Continental Shelf, which is one of my favorite all-time songs, period. It's just so good. So uh, there we are. That yeah. is my list, my five. Um, that's it for me. But it's a good list. Uh, Erica, it's your turn next. So let's all take a quick coffee break. Everyone can split up. Erica, you go gather your five records, and we'll continue this conversation. This episode is brought to you by The Last Duel, a film by Ridley Scott, director of Gladiator. Witness the true story of one woman who defied a kingdom and made history. Starring Academy Award winners Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, Academy Award nominee Adam Driver, and Jodie Comer, who gives a performance critics say will be remembered come Oscar time. The script was written by Academy Award nominee Nicole Hall of Center, as well as Affleck and Damon. The Last Duel, now playing only in theaters. Not completing high school is more of a social thing than it was an academic thing. Even though all these years have passed, I still had that longing to have my diploma. At age 30, Carissa finished her high school diploma. If you're even considering getting your high school diploma, you can do it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. I asked what kind of family she wanted. She said, a family like yours. Learn more about adopting a teen at adoptuskids.org. You can't imagine the reward. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Okay, uh, I have gone. We're discussing our top five favorite post-punk revival albums. And no one's more qualified than our customer today, Erica Campbell. Erica Campbell, please hit us with it. Um, I'm so excited because I feel like my recommendations are so different from yours and that they're like kind of direct, like what you would expect if you put like a sticker on like post-punk revival or maybe even garage rock. But mm. um, so my number five album is drumroll the strokes room on fire i 
love this album so much because of the fact that it was panned critically when it came out. And I love a sleeper hit. Mm -hmm. And I uh, firmly believe that it would have been more appreciated had it not been the follow-up to their debut album, Is This It? Um, and I think a lot of people were very much like, didn't they just release the same album again? But I mean, as a fan of the Strokes, I was like, thank God they released the same album again. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, it's not broke, don't fix it kind of deal. Mm -hmm. But I felt like, uh, like with their technicality, like there was some experiment, like they were, they were playing differently. They were trying new things, but they were doing it in a way that, you know, some people thought was safe. I loved it. I still put Reptilia on all my playlists. Oh, I yeah. feel like it's just, it sounds like, a dirty East Village bar in the early 2000s. And I just like put it in my veins. I love that album. Fully agree. Yeah. I love it too. I love Is This It? I love Reptilia. I, I love The Strokes. They're just such a classic. I mean, they're probably the most, and I've used this already, this term once, but I would say they're the most vanilla of the post-punk bands. Mm. They're just so straightforward rock almost, but mm -hmm. it's still... Um, Still kind of dancey in a way. And I don't know. I I love them so much. They're so great. And yeah, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I mean, Room on Fire almost feels like a victory lap. It's like the, yeah. they they succeeded with their debut. And they're like, oh, y'all like this? Here we go again. And it's it's great. And then honestly, too, I love the follow-up, First Impressions of Earth. Because oh my God, yeah. I feel like that was our first taste of Julian Casablancas and the Voids. I think that was like... If I had to completely make up a narrative for what happened with the Strokes, they released their first album, which is a little bit of everyone. It went really well, so they did it again, and it's great. It's Room on Fire. Everyone loves it. And then, for some reason, Julian Casablancas got his hands on the steering wheel. I don't know how, but he was just like, and now it's my turn. And they put out this really weird really like just odd decisions all throughout that album. I think it really works. In fact, I, I genuinely do think it's my favorite Strokes album, but very, very strange. And then I think the other members like grab the steering wheel. They're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you can go make a solo album if you want, but we're the Strokes and the Strokes sound like this. And then I do think they kind of returned to form after that and had, had a more like traditional and more reliable stroke sound after that. But then if you hop over to Julian Casablanca's solo, He's got that 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 wackier sound all over the place, and it's wonderful. I love Julian Casablancas and the Voids very, very much. I concur. I agree with that narrative 100%. I do feel like there was like a little bit of Julian kind of deciding that he wanted to talk about themes that were a little <laughs> less like direct and that he wanted to kind of tap into whatever esoteric meaning and song choice that he had. And they were like, okay, let's do it. Why not? And then they were like, let's just be the strokes again. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, going to like the voids, big fan of the voids. Mm -hmm. I, I love Julian's solo work as well. I'm glad that we, that we came to that. It's reminding me that I should have, I should pick up that record before I leave the store today. It's, it's a grand one. And um, I also remember one year, this would have been probably three or four years ago, probably. In the same year, I saw The Strokes play and Julian Casablancas and The Voids play. And it was oh. amazing to see the difference between the audience, between the reactions, between the expectations. Like when I saw The Strokes, it was at like, you know, a, a, fuck, the crowd must have been 
uh, I'm not going to say hundreds of thousands because that's ridiculous, but it was thousands, thousands and thousands and thousands. It was a big festival wow. stage all over the place. It, oh, it was a huge, cool. huge audience. They, they were headlining, I believe, at Shaky Knees, I want to say. The Shaky Knees. Oh, I was at that show. Yeah. yeah me yes. too. Me too. But but yeah. you remember, like they they were rock stars at that moment. They were on the stage and they were owning that entire audience, playing the hits. They, they were the Rolling Stones at that during that show. And then I think, I couldn't remember if it was before or after, but very close to that moment, I watched them at, let's see, I want to say it was at the Old Masquerade in Heaven, and it was such a small audience. I don't think it was even sold out, and um, everyone- Was that with Twin Sister or Mr. Twin Sister? Maybe. I don't remember. I don't think I remember who the opening act was. I think If so. I had to it, guess yeah, right now- Yeah, it was now, like kind of slow. Like there wasn't that many people there. It could be. It could be. Were, yeah. you, were you at the show too? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I have to say, like, the audience was so into it. Like, they were like, I don't know, like, if, if it's the difference between a kegger for a Strokes concert and, like, a fine wine tasting for, like, a Voids concert, it's a smaller audience, but perhaps, like, more appreciative and, like, perhaps more, like, I don't want to say nuanced, because a kegger is fun too. Like, they're both fun, it's just different flavors and different vibes. I think you're right. Yeah. I think that it is more nuanced. And I, I'm a huge Strokes fan, so don't get me wrong. They're both great. About what yeah. I'm about to say. But like, I think when you have a band that's like that big, you have a lot of people that are fans of them that might just know one or two songs that they've heard. And the crowd's going to be different. I specifically remember that Shaky Knee show and a lot of pushing and a lot of bro behavior right and i've seen the voids and it's very chill and it's very relaxed and people are genuinely there just focused on the music so yeah i i love the idea of comparing it to a wine tasting i think it's a completely <laughs> different experience it's good times yeah. either way though both are good yeah good yes. times either way. <laughs> i will t i will take both right now considering that you know we've all been in some form of lockdown so we'll mm -hmm. be yeah online. yeah <laughs> all right so my next album number four is going to be tv on the radio escape from cookie mountain um i can't nice. even think of all the reasons i want to pick up this album other than the fact that when it starts out you have no idea what to expect and then you're so delighted by what happens next. Um, just with I Was a Lover, that song in and in of itself, like lyrically, the way that it speeds up and slows down, it feels like the background music to a video game with a romantic storyline. And I mean, a song like Woof Like Me, mm. like that's more than a song. That's like, that's like a, a movie in and of itself. I feel like everything I love about music from the quick guitar riffs to Tunde's visceral voice on the track. I, I love that album from start to finish. It just feels like it's such a magic album and it's kind of, I'm not sure which one of you said this, but it kind of throws back to this idea of like kind of taking punk and then adding something else to it. Like there's that gospel element, there's that R&B element um, that makes it way more than just, you know, typical post-punk music. Right. Like, like like that song on there, um, A Method, that song, it's, um, it's almost, it's, it's like, it's like almost the same trick that they used on the previous album, where it was like, I believe it's called Ambulance. It was on, um, gosh, what, 
Bloodthirsty Babes. What, what's the name of that album? Um, oh, it's such a long title. Uh, Desperate Youth, Bloodthirsty Babes. Desperate, Is that it? Yes. De- yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. Desperate <laughs> um, Youth, Bloodthirsty Babes. You did <laughs> the fact that you remember that is so good. It's a I'm long so title. So bad with remembering titles. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I feel like the song Ambulance on there, and then a method on Return to Cookie Mountain is like the same trick, where it's almost like a um, acapella, slow building, like round of vocals. And you're right, though, where it's like it's not just like acapella. It's not punk. It's a weird mishmash of influences. And it works perfectly. And and um, I don't know how you feel, Erica, but like to me, that feels like the peak of TV on the radio. They have many, many high points all throughout their career. But to me, that is like, oh, you did it. You made a perfect album. Congratulations. Yeah, I agree. And I it kind of reminds me of what you were saying, Tara, about like art art school kids, because it's kind of it could be <laughs> yeah. it could feel a little pretentious because of how much they're doing, but it feels approachable. Like you don't feel like this is like above you or like you can't just like listen to it and relax or dance to it. I feel like they find a really good balance in that. Yeah, that's true. It is really balanced in that regard. Like it's not too weird, but it's also not boring. I have an anecdote about it. But it's going to get a little bit rude to a person I know, so I apologize to this person, okay? (laughs) I'll I'll be vague. Uh, There's a guy I know who I didn't have anything in common (laughs) with. And when that album came out, he knew that I was really into music. And so he was like, hey, man, I just picked up Return to Cookie Mountain. And I was like, oh, awesome. That's a great album, right? He's like, yeah, man, Wolf Like Me. I'm like, fuck yes, Wolf Like Me. Like, that's a great (laughs) song. This is so cool. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, and what about this song? What about that song? What about this song? He's like, I mostly just listen to Wolf Like Me, but still. And I'm like, cool, man. That's cool. I like, like awesome. We, we both agree that this is a great album. Me and this guy have nothing in common. Like he's like a, he's like a real like hunter kind of bro dude, like real frat guy kind of energy. No offense to that, that type. I'm just saying we, we, we weren't, we weren't in the same circles at all. So anyway, later on that night, I forget why, but someone, I believe it was at like a party, had like MTV on in the background. And I'm going to tell you in like the 15 minutes that I was sitting in front of a television that had MTV on, they played Wolf Like Me 700 times. <laughs> like wow. every single commercial, every single like promo for a new show, every single like ad break, cut to a song real quick. It was Wolf Like Me every single time. And I was like, oh, that's where he got it. That's awesome. Like, I'm so glad that like, that he was tricked into buying this fantastic, like post-punk revival album. And I hope he he listened to it all. And I hope he really loved it because like MTV was just playing the hell out of Wolf Like Me. So awesome, you know? Yeah. MTV. MTV played music. Well, that's the thing. They weren't playing <laughs> yeah, music videos. That. They were just forcing these little snippets for every single like cut to commercial break and every single I, I bet it was like some sort of like MTV movie video music award type event or something. I, I can't remember, honestly. I, I, I wasn't the one who turned it on. Yeah, it's funny. I, I relate to that guy a little bit because I think the only song I know from that album is Wolf Like Me, but mm-hmm. I've heard, I mean, obviously I know the other, there's like Two other hits on the other, uh, the first album, right? I can't remember which ones those are, but I've heard more on the newest album, which is also really great. So I'm glad that they didn't just kind of like die off with the whole, that whole, like that 
generation of post-punk revival, that right. early 2000s thing. Um, yeah, that the album Seeds, Careful You is such a great song. And Happy Idiot is good. Like, it's such a great album. And they always had it, too. Like, even a OK Calculator, their very first, like, weird release of just experimental nonsense, that's such a fun listen, too. So, no, they, they, they their whole career from beginning to end, no one can go wrong anywhere in there. So are they in their revival revival or are they in the oh. same revival still? Oh, that's an excellent point. Revival revival. Ooh. Yeah. No, I don't know. And I, I felt the same way uh, when we were talking about uh, Liars before uh, earlier too, because the first Liars album is like 2002 and the latest one I think is 2018. So it's like they were both a part of the revival and what I would consider now, which is the revival revival, how can the same band revive itself? But they, they <laughs> seem to do it. So I don't know. It's weird. All right. So my number three album is going to be Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's Fever to Tell. Karen O, as a voice, is like, You've got her as a front human, and you've got her voice as like a separate member of the band. I feel like that entire album, not only that, but having seen them live and the way that she performs these songs, right? just, it just, it blows my mind. And I think the biggest thing that I've always gotten from that album was that there were so many like songs that kind of squared up to the other artists that were playing post-punk revival music at the time but then you have this moment like maps that like last forever where she talks about i think she told enemy that she wrote that song in like 20 minutes and kind of like a stupor like sending an email to her boyfriend about to get like getting on a flight and it's this timeless song that's so heartfelt that's coming out of this person that's usually you know associated with falling over on stage and like breaking a limb so <laughs> i just feel like that that perfect juxtaposition of like I don't know, female fierceness with rock is specifically the thing I love. So I love that album. For sure. And also, I think we say this every time this comes up, but of course, also that song, MAPS, was written about Angus from Liars, and MAPS stands for My Angus Please Stay, which is adorable. So adorable. Yeah. Yeah, this album, we wore this shit out in college and definitely in the art building (laughs) and at all the art kid parties man we were crazy about this album such a it's such a good album man she's wild and a force to be reckoned with oh definitely um remember um just recently we were doing uh, a top five list about top five eps and the yeah yeah yeah's ep made it on there too and uh man karen O, like she's so special in the future we will be remembering Karen O just indefinitely. Like she, she's going to be, you know, yeah. the Tina Turner. She's going to be the Cher. She's going to be the, who else is is an iconic blondie? Cindy Lauper. Yeah, exactly. No, no, she, she will be that woman where in the future, you just, you just see a photo of them and you're like, oh yeah, remember that? Remember fucking that yeah. person? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No pun intended. But. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> she's, yeah, I agree. She's iconic. Yeah, her even voice? her stage presence and yeah. her co- like the costumes she wore were ridiculous at the time. 
I, I remember reading something about her like going on stage with her stylist and not even really liking some of the things that she was wearing, but knowing that they were like a part of the entire like experience. I don't know if people do that as much anymore when they like realize like, okay, I've got this amazing music, but I also just kind of want to look like the music. Right. Anyways, yeah. Yeah. Didn't she, and I may have two people mixed up here. Was it Karen O or Peaches that put a microphone in their vagina? Oh, that sounds hmm. like peaches. If I had to guess, <laughs> it does kind of sound like peaches. But I always thought I haven't heard that o. story though, so I don't know. Yeah, but I'll but it's also Google interesting that to one think. Later. <laughs> we were just talking. We're gonna look. We're gonna have to circle back on that one for <laughs> sure. <laughs> but we're just talking about how she is this iconic figure of you know of of music and being an individual, and then we we're talking about uh, comparing her to Blondie and like Tina Turner. Tina Turner this year for the uh, uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, it, it, it looks like she's about to be inducted this year uh, as a solo artist. She's technically already in there with Ike Turner, but fuck that shit. That's, yeah. you know, like she's better than that. So but I wonder if that means that in the future, uh, whatever like the moratorium is before you can be inducted, if we will see a Karen O in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame someday. I, I hope that's the case. I think it, I think we should, I feel like it's re like the, and I don't have the numbers, but the amount of women who have not been inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame that feel like no brainers. Right. And you see a lot of like male bands that get inducted and you're like, okay, like they just came out with an album. Like not that it, it just feels like, especially with Tina Turner, she should have been there as a solo artist so long ago that no matter when she gets inducted at this point, it'll still be too late, but it's yeah. like, thank you for recognizing her. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and weren't we just talking uh, recently about the uh, the Tina Turner documentary, too? Yes. The Tina Turner, HBO did a documentary called Tina, and it's fantastic because it shines a light on, on just like, her relationship with Ike, like you just mentioned, her being in the Hall of Fame with him. But it kind of focuses a story back on her and how she created her own career for herself, like when she was over 40 years old right. in a genre that based on her gender, her race, her, her, like the genre in itself, didn't really want to categorize her as, you know, a rock musician, but she made it happen late in the game. And the documentary kind of shows that side of it, as opposed to the struggle and the stresses. Um, it really highlights her as this bohemoth rock star that she is, which is well-deserved. She's yeah. a, a, a an interesting lady, and I think it is both a compliment and very fair to put Karen O in that same category, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I still need to see that documentary. Oh, yeah, and I wrote about it for Glamour and Spin, but you could, you know, check it out on my website at <laughs> CampbellErica.com. Yeah, that's so cool that you did that. That's I need to read those, too. I need to catch up on all the things. <laughs> I, it's like I can commit to watching an hour's worth of TikTok videos, but <laughs> sitting down to watch a documentary feels like pure torture for me lately. I don't know. TikTok. something. It's like I can commit. I think I'm only going to be sitting there for 10 minutes scrolling on TikTok. And then an hour goes by. I was like, okay, it's time to stop. <laughs> I've never gotten into TikTok. Like it's always kind of it, it feels like my last social media foray was like Instagram and then Snapchat happened and TikTok happened. And I was like, I'm sorry, everyone. I've got to go now. I'm like going off to see. But it's always kind of felt like, uh, I mean, all of it is, but it's always kind of felt like junk food, social media. It's yeah, like, yeah. That, exactly. Junk food, social media. You nailed it with that. 
I saw uh, an article recently that was talking about what fulfilled that dopamine immediacy, junk food, social media before social media. And the closest thing that it could come up with, which I thought was a really good analogy, was those weird VH1 listicle shows like I Love the Blank. Oh, I love those. Me too. (laughs) And they were saying that basically that was Instagram before Instagram. Because it was basically them going like, hey, remember this? Look at this picture, right? All right, let's talk about it for a second. All right, that's enough. Moving on. Hey, remember this? Let's talk about it for a second. Here's a picture. All right, moving on. Here's a joke. <laughs> like, yeah. Or like pop-up video or yeah. Oh, even pop-up like, video. So yeah. Good. <laughs> or even like real reality television kind of maybe touched on that. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they kind of like living vicariously through someone else and just kind of like yeah. looking, looking into their lives in a, it feels kind of uninvited, but you're also invited kind of a way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's interesting. Yeah. But yeah, I, I agree. The newest... Uh, social media platform I'm on is Instagram. And even it, I'm like, this is dead, right? We're we're all moving on from this. <laughs> I've learned so much from TikTok though. There's people on there that talk about how to produce music and there's people on there that do a list of their favorite records. You know, they'll pull out the actual um, vinyl and say, this is, you know, top of this genre, whatever. Or, you know, there's just so many for me, that's there's so many things yeah. to talk about music, and I love it so much. And then, of course, there's funny cat videos too. <laughs> I'm I'm totally down for uh, junk food and dopamine hits. And speaking of <laughs> both those things, my second album or my number two album is kind of along those lines. It is an album by Arctic Monkeys, and it is not the album that I would pick if I was told that like I was writing an in-depth article about, you know, how music has changed people's lives. It feels very shallow. It feels very, um, yeah, it feels like junk food, but I am being so brave. (laughs) And I added AM by Arctic Monkeys to my top post-punk revival albums. Why'd you only call me when you're high? And here is why. (laughs) If we had done this pre-lockdown, I would have definitely gone with Humbug. I would have gone with um, another album. But I just genuinely need a good live experience. And I feel like hearing songs like Knee Socks and Are You Mine, though they're like more commercially successful, even literally like songs that are played on commercials. Right. <laughs> I could use just being able to sit there and not think and listen to them live. And I feel like this album, were it like a social media platform, is like the TikTok of Arctic Monkeys albums. <laughs> and so that is why I'm adding this to my list. I know. I, I think Arctic Monkeys are very valuable and I hope they aren't forgotten by time. Because um, to me, they represent the Gang of Four aspect of the post-punk revival. It's like, you know, uh, I think Franz Ferdinand too is in that same category where it's it's punk plus and the plus is like fun. It's like, hey, you guys like fun? Let's, let's have some fun. Let's, let's dance. Let's have that dance beat. And I do think Gang of Four was like one of the originators of that. And uh, I think Arctic Monkeys carried on that tradition beautifully. They did a great job. They are really fun and so easy to listen to and also have that sort of dreamy crooner aesthetic too that I really love. 
Um, yeah, I think they write great songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Alex Turner is a great lyricist. Um, that their last album, Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino, I appreciate that they kind of just went and made a piano record. Um, but I also feel like they could do that after they put out AM. They were like, all right, we gave you the guitar rock you asked for. Right. We did. We did Punk Plus. We, you know, had some like hip hop beats to it. Now we're just going to do whatever the fuck we want. So I feel like everyone kind of has that sort of album that appeases and is like, okay, we'll do this. We'll get everyone to talk about it and then we'll do whatever the fuck we want. So yeah, I feel like that was that album for them. Absolutely. Great stuff. No, no, I I've I seen, fully agree. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I got a little anxious or excited, not anxious. Well, I'm anxious all the time. We're in a pandemic. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I got excited. I've seen them compared to Oasis before. And hmm. I didn't really think about it until literally just now how we're talking about them as post-punk, but how they are kind of um these like cocky UK rock stars. Um I don't know. They have this like big personality too, just like the, the brothers in Oasis and, but their songs are also kind of, they're, they're very popular. Um, much like Oasis songs were back in the day. And I don't know, I feel like there's so much of a common thread if you, if you really sit and think about it and, I never really did until now. So, yeah, <laughs> I feel that I feel that like that, that like laddish behavior of like, oh, we're going to act like rock stars and drop the mic on the stage after we accept an award kind of deal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. uh, pr- probably another one in this same world. And I hope I'm not taking away from everyone's list was uh, the Libertines uh, up the bracket around the same time that that's that lad attitude, Wait, you know, weren't they connected somehow? I mean, both Are British. They? I'm not sure if there's any common members oh. or anything. Yeah. Yeah, maybe not. One of my favorite quotes about the Libertines, um, somebody wrote about them and called them different strokes for British folks. <laughs> I just had to put that tidbit in. <laughs> oh, their side project or one of the guys had the the last shadow puppets. Yeah, yeah. Not the, I was think I was thinking the Libertines was their thing. No, yeah. The Libertines did have some spinoffs, though. Um, there was one, I want to say... Ugly Pretty Things was Carl Barat's side project. And then Baby Shambles was um, uh, Pete Doty's other one. Oh, but anyway, yeah. th- th- there, there are many spinoffs. But uh, but yeah, the Libertines together is best Libertines, you know? Like, uh, I like them solo, but they're more fun together. They're, uh, they're goofy weirdos, and I like them. They're fun. That was your number two? That was number two. Ooh. And so, number one, if anyone knows me that's listening, they're not going to be surprised. My number one album is from a band called The Killers, and that album is called Samstown. So... Samstown was their sophomore album. Again, critically panned. Everybody was like, what the hell is this? Where's Hot Fuss? Where's the British affectation in your voice? Why do you have mustaches? What's going on? (laughs) Um, And it was just such a beautiful return for them because they, they like went into this world of like seeing bands like The Strokes, but also loving Joy Division and also like kind of seeing how Interpol presented. And they were like, okay, we want to be like, this glam indie rock band that plays this type of music. And then they went all over the world and they were like, no, we just want to 
write music that sounds like we're from Las Vegas because we don't really know anything else other than where we're from. And so you end up with these songs like When You Were Young and Read My Mind that kind of are still that post-punk, but that plus is that Americana sound, which I thought was really great because it's just so obvious like that they're the only people that could do that because that was a part of their upbringing. So what they were surrounded by kind of came out in the music. And I mean, I've, I've never felt more connected with a band than when you were young's guitar solo played live. So definitely have to throw it out for that one. And then just from start to finish, like songs about his uncle doing cocaine, songs about falling in love. It's there's something for everyone in this <laughs> album. Wait, so are they from Las Vegas? They are from oh. Las Vegas, Nevada. Yeah, wow. they are Las Vegas's best and brightest British band. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. Wow. I feel like that explains so much in a way. Yeah. It's also funny, too, because you, you so rarely hear about people from Las Vegas. Yeah. That it feels like somehow very foreign and very like otherworldly. But uh, but no, it also makes so much sense when you think about not not only their songs, but like their music videos and how they present themselves and like kind of the aesthetics that they present with just the band in general. It's uh, it's all very Vegas when you look at it, you know. Yeah, it's funny too because so many people from that area are very Mormon and religious, oh. and so you get this like weird juxtaposition of like sex in Las Vegas and then like religion. And if you listen to the album, you're like, oh, that makes sense. That's a perfect combination of all those things. Now I'm just thinking about how like all of these bands, the whole like post punk plus, and then just how like Las Vegas is also kind of the plus too. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Las Vegas just is like, the plus. <laughs> yeah. And not just because it's like exaggerated everything, but it is kind of a little bit of everything. There's such a good international food situation there and there's the gambling and the alcohol and then there's this super fancy stores like Gucci and all these, you know, yeah, luxury stores. It is. Yeah. It's so wild. Yeah. The first article I ever got paid to write was covering their, um, they did like a 10 year anniversary Samstown show, but they did it in the casino. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, like it, this casino doesn't even host shows. It's just like the shitty casino off the strip. <laughs> um, but it's funny because like so many of their, I know way too much about this band. So many of their family <laughs> members like were in the hospitality business. And so, you know, they hadn't really gotten a passport before they released Hot Fuss and they hadn't seen the world. And they were just like these kids from Las Vegas who thought it would be cool to start a band. Um, and they came out so like big with Hot Fuss and they were just trying to be everything. And then with Samstown, they were like, oh, we'll just be ourselves and see what happens. And people <laughs> didn't love it at first, but eventually they did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely think that the killers have imprinted themselves uh, in a very specific generation and a very specific time and been like, hey, we're everyone's favorite now. And everyone agrees. Everyone has heard the everyone's heard the songs. Everyone's heard the mm -hmm. albums. And it, it, it almost doesn't matter if you disagree. They told you that, that they are your favorite band and you just kind of roll with it. You're like, all right, you're the boss. <laughs> I agree with that wholeheartedly because I, I think like, when I go to shows with people who are not Killers fans or like they're waiting or they're like they were um, at a festival and they went to see the band before them, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the whole time they're watching, they're like, oh, I didn't know they made that song. Right. I didn't know they made that song because it's like it's almost like, yeah, they made the decision for you and then you went along with it. It wasn't the opposite way. Yeah. <laughs>
I feel that. I feel that. Man, what what, what a great number one too. And also, wow, <laughs> like just the diversity of the bands that we are are putting under this title. It all makes sense, but they're all very different <laughs> from each other. Like, how is it that we put Shushu and the Killers on the same list? But we did, and it makes sense. Wait till you hear my list. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> well, here, let's let's get to it. Uh, Erica, wonderful list. Let's take a yeah. little break. Uh, and then uh, we'll come back. Tara's going to bring her records and we'll do uh, one more top five countdown. Let's do it. Hey, everybody. I'm Colleen Wolf from Thursday Night Football and Good Morning Football Weekend. And I'm Ricky Hollywood from around the NFL and the broadcast. On our new podcast, Split Ends, Ricky and I will be coming to you every week to talk about all the important and unimportant storylines in the football world. Join us every week for the stories on and off the field that matter. And some don't, but we think they're interesting, so we're going to talk about them anyway. And we'll find out where in the world is the wolf. Yep, I live out of a suitcase and I'll be sharing stories from football cities across America. We'll break down games, news stories, tweets, interviews, TikToks, conspiracy theories, whatever it takes to cover the ins and outs of the NFL world. Whether the big story is a coaching change or a stadium plumbing issue, we're here to talk you through it. Just a couple of best friends talking ball. Yep, and we'll drag some of our other friends to join us too. NFL media members, players, your mom, you name it. Listen to Split Ends on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, friends. I'm Hector Navarro. And I'm Frankie Grande. We're your hosts for SpongeBob Binge Pants, Nickelodeon's podcast celebrating all things SpongeBob universe. We have the privilege that not many SpongeBob fans get. This being an official Nickelodeon podcast, we get to interview the brilliant humans behind the names we've all been reading in those credits for over 20 years. This is a podcast by fans for fans. Listen to SpongeBob Binge Pants on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I want to get back to being in my community group. I want to continue having a soccer season. So I can throw parties again. <laughs> so I can go to her parties. <laughs> It'd really be nice to dine in instead of getting delivery for a change. So I can feel safe and protected for myself and my students. We each have our own reason for why we're getting vaccinated against COVID-19. What will yours be? Visit GetVaccineAnswers.org for information on the COVID-19 vaccines. It's up to you. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Okay, we are back. We are doing top five post-punk revival albums. And man, the, the breadth, the width, the diversity of what we're picking so far is is mind-boggling. And the fact that it all fits makes me very, very happy. And Tara says she got some surprises for us. So uh, please, please hit us with it. Surprises? I don't know if they're surprises, but... I feel like I went for the revival revival bands mostly in my list. Um, so more on the newer end, but I feel like uh, maybe my list is a good combination of both of yours because mm. Seth, you did a little bit of that with Viet Cong and Erica, you also did the, the kind of the early two thousands revival. So I feel like mine is a nice blend of both of yours together almost. Um, but yeah, I'll just start it out. And the first one is actually from 2020, believe it oh, or not. Oh, wow. Yes. 
And oh, another thing I wanted to say about this is like, of course, there are girl post-punk bands or post-punk bands with girls in them. And there's a lot and they're great. But for whatever reason, so many that I was able to just easily list all, all of them that I was listing, those were all like dudes. And yeah, I was just like, I have to be, I, I don't want to squish a girl in here just because I really want this to be someone I really, really love like a ton. And for whatever reason, this artist kept popping into my brain as being someone who's post-punk, but like no description ever describes her as that. Mm-hmm everyone's describing her as like avant pop or experimental. But if you listen to it, it sounds just as much like a certain ratio or maybe even um, pieces of Gang of Four or something like that. The artist is Kate and V. The album is Room for the Moon. I've talked about her before in my lists. I love her so much. Um, This album has, uh, well, actually, let me go back and say she is in a post-punk band. I just did not know about it until recently, but the post-punk band is called Glint Shake and they're a Russian post-punk band. Um, Good name. But when I listen to them, they sound rather experimental as well. So I feel like, the way these publications are calling her experimental when I feel like she's kind of post-punk and she's in a post-punk band, but people are calling them or they sound a little experimental. I feel like she's uniting kind of both of those projects and it is experimental and post-punk, but what is post-punk? But all the things (laughs) kind of so, um, I think it fits. And this album has a lot of synthesizers and saxophones and kind of that psychedelic guitar moments. Um, yeah, I love it. I'm calling her post-punk. I, I would agree. I, I, from what I've heard, you've definitely heard, you've heard obviously way more of her than I have. But in particular, her album from last year, that feels very post-punk to me, you know? And it's um, yeah. it's got kind of that like, big mood post-punk where it's like kind of establishing like a a feeling for the whole album and just kind of like laying it on real thick and just being like, no, 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 this is what we're up to. Kind of like um, someone we've talked about in the store before too, uh, Annika. I think Annika would also feel kind of post-punk and also kind of like Kate NV lays down that vibe real thick and is like, here's what we're doing. This is what we're experiencing now. Go, you know? Yeah. I'm not kidding when I say I sent this Lint Shake album to Farbod, who, um, as you recall, did the he, we he comes into our store all the time. Um, but uh, he said of this album, this reminds me of Annika. Oh, that's so cool! That's so cool. Yeah, so, yeah. and her band exploded view, yeah. And uh, so it's so funny that you said that, and so did he. Um, Farbod's so yeah, good it mu- people, it must be true. <laughs> I dig it, and I, I like the idea of the listener being the arbiter of whether or not it is post-punk. I feel like that's the way that it has to be, you know? Yeah. 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 I dig it. (laughs) Yeah. Otherwise, I mean, sure. She's experimental. Like, especially her album before this one, before this one, maybe I think it's, yeah, I think it's not the one right before. Uh, Actually, maybe it is the one right before. Anyways, there's one in between, I think. 
that is all ambient. Mm. It's just like bells and synthesizers, no singing. Um, but the one before that is more like this one. So, but yeah, I think maybe they're calling her experimental because of that maybe, but it sounds to me like a post-punk album to me. So yeah. I buy it. Totally. I'm in. Yeah. It's good. All right. Number four from 2019. The band is Black Midi. The mm. album is Schlagenheim. Oh, what a I would totally uh, call Black Midi post-punk. If, if you would have asked yes. me before, I wouldn't have said so. But this, make, <laughs> this makes perfect sense now. I also yes. like that when they released their new single recently, we were talking about it. And what was your phrase about tricking people? What was that? I don't remember. If, if what here, did I here's say? what I remember, and you correct me if, if I'm getting it wrong. Okay. You told me that I believe you had read it somewhere or something that Black Midi tricked a bunch of hipsters into liking prog rock. Is that the phrase? Oh, yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> totally forgot about that. And, and, and no, yes. and, and I'm fine with that. I'm okay with being tricked into liking prog rock if Black Midi's <laughs> the one doing it because they're real good at it. So I'm I'm, I'm here for yeah. it. Well, okay. So, but I feel like it's the new album that's more prog rock, whereas this album Schlagenheim is more post punk. Yeah. There's a lot more like distortion and guitars and like actual punk elements, but then you go from like the straight up noise elements to like spoken word oh yeah, or like, you know, the unpredictable rhythm of the drum grooves and guitar elements. And yeah, it's definitely way more post-punk this album, but now that new single that they released, I forget what it's called. It reminds me of Oingo Boingo, but no, not really Oingo Boingo so much as like um, Danny Elfman, but from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and it could be just the music video, but okay. it definitely feels more prog rock than the new stuff. I dig it. <laughs> I like it. And I like that as this conversation unfolds, my own definition is also changing. Like, this is, like, enlightening. Like, we're evolving when it comes to our definitions as we go. I also think it's That's funny, too, that Black Midi is a bunch of fucking weirdos because they release the strangest albums. I bought this one. I'm pulling it up in my uh, Bandcamp app right now because um, it was so weird. I've only listened to it maybe twice. I believe it's called, or I'm reading it off the album cover, The Black Midi Anthology Volume 1 Tales of <laughs> Suspense and Revenge. And it's, uh, let's see, seven tracks long. Each track is like 15 to like 25 minutes long. And it's like a spoken word, like mystery story told over <laughs> like an instrumental backing. Wow. And then like, that's the A side. And then the B side is just the instrumental backing tracks. It is such a strange listen. And I love them for that. I I, I want that. That's, that's what I want for my music. I want to be challenged. I want them to like force me into new directions that I may not even want, you know? Yeah. But I'm here for it. Love it. They're so young and just, but so technically uh, talented. Yeah. I mean, like their instrument, they know the technical bits of their instruments. They know... The ins and outs. They're not obviously, they're improvising a lot of the times, you can tell, but right. they're yeah, young, they're, so talented. they're virtuosic, and they're virtuosic. weird. And, and that's, they're weird. Ooh, what a great combination. Joy that, Division, hello. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
for sure. Yeah. But, you know, and, and you're right. You're right. That is, those are three things that definitely make uh, a great post-punk band. I think Talking Heads were that too. They yeah. were, they were young, virtuosic and, and weird. Yeah. So, Man, this is what a fun, fun time we're having. This I is am, a fun list. It I, really is. I'm learning. I love that description. I feel like that should be the title of something. Yeah. You should write that down. <laughs> this is also Black Mini is like the new, the young new art kid music. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> I, I hope yeah, right I now at Portland State University. <laughs> In, in the studio lab, someone's in there and they're just putting on, what do you guys want? The new black mini? And they're like, nah, Radiohead. And he's like, all right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they still put they probably on. are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, one other thing I just wanted to call out is um, one, I know that they kind of flip singers in this band, but the main singer has sort of that baritone voice that Ian from Joy Division had. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I love it so much. Um, but... The other band I'm about to mention in my number three pick also has the same same voice, in my opinion. And that is, um, the band is Parquet Courts. Oh. The album is Wide Awake. I'm wide awake. Another New York City band. It's a good one. Um, That's a good one. Yeah. Art Rock, they definitely remind me a lot more of Talking Heads than Joy Division, though, I would say. Right, right. On um, that spectrum between the two. Yeah. yeah. And Wide Awake also kind of have this, has that dancey groove. You think, um, uh, what's that Talking Heads song? Uh, this Must Be The Place or something like that? V- Naive Melody? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, that song. I feel like Wide Awake even embraces some of that a little bit. I don't know. Maybe not entirely, but for me, for whatever reason, I'm thinking of that. Um, there's They have these like plucky bass moments, the 70s groove sounds, like housey organs and then like funky guitar riffs, you know, where they're just like doing the quick, uh, quick, quick strumming riffs that are found a lot in like disco music. Mm-hmm. So yeah, post-punk to the core. So good. I like it. Yeah. I like that you brought up voice too. I think that's an interesting thing to draw like a line with because so many artists like that don't play an instrument, like we talked about Tina Turner, a lot of times people don't put you in a category because you're not playing the specific like instrument of that genre, but your voice standing alone and being like that, that sounds exactly like this other person that sounds like this person. I think that's a cool designation to point out. Yeah. And perhaps that's the plus sometimes. Because like, if you think about like traditional punk, there is a punk voice. It's that slightly nasal, slightly whiny, kind of bratty voice. Yeah. And so, yeah, if you just... Petulant. Yes. Petulant is a great word. And and yeah, I think that plus. So like, for example, um, we mentioned Fugazi earlier. Think about uh, Ian MacKay. Ian MacKay, when he was in Minor Threat, had that petulant voice and then when he went on to Fugazi, he kind of developed, he changed, he grew, he he um, uh, matured, you know? So, oh, I don't know. I don't have answers, you know, but this is a strange world. Yeah. Thinking of voice, too, makes me wonder, is Sleater Kenny post-punk? Ooh. See, I always... They kind of are. I, I See, I always throw them in the category, if I'm forced to, to say Riot Girl, because that's like, you know... Oh, yeah. They're like main core... But they also just seem very much just like straightforward rock and roll. Like they they do like like they there's not much about them that is 
out of just the rock and roll genre, right? I I do kind of want to put them in post-punk because we think of um, Janet, is that her name? The drummer? Oh yeah, Janet Weiss, right? Janet, yeah. Yeah. Her drum beats are very dancey, rhythmic beats. And then Carrie Brownstein, the way she plays the guitar in those like single plucky sounds. It's not just like chords all the time. Good point. Yeah. Kind of has that post-punk vibe. That, that, and I think it's that angular thing. You know what I mean? Because yeah. if, if you think about, oh, let's say um, Joy Division for sure, but even in the revivalist groups, think about like um, the Future Heads, where it's like that. Oh. Welcome to your first day. Oh. Yeah. And yeah, like yes. that is very and then you have angular, Corinne. very staccato, you know? And then you have Corinne with her, me, me, oh, whatever she does. And like, I totally butchered that. But you know what I mean? She I has that, that crazy voice. <laughs> You've won me over. We are now considering Slater Kenny post-punk. We will put every Damn. every single group, every single musician will be inside post-punk by the time wish, this uh, day is over. My man. <laughs> I wish I put that on my list instead. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, the next one on my list isn't as post-punky. And we've talked about them already, but... From 2001, the album Is This It by The Strokes. Yay. Classic yes. punk leaning, post punk, but New York City to the core. Mm-hmm. So good. Erica, do you live? You live in New York, right? Yes. I actually live off Thompson Square Park in the East Village, like prime real estate for where not like not only where this album was like inspired, but like where it was recorded, like right in Alphabet City in the East Village. Mm. I feel like we have a ton of mutual friends. Did you used to live in Atlanta? I did. I lived in Atlanta for like, I think, what, six years. Oh, okay. That's why we have so many common friends. And that's why everybody was like, oh, you should meet Erica. You guys would really like each other. So that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you're visiting the store while yeah. you're visiting Atlanta. Um, but yeah, so I, I guess I was just wondering, like, well, you weren't there when this came out in 2001. But no, I was I was like on my twin size bed in high school wishing <laughs> that I was there, like jealously flipping the pages of magazines and reading the enemy and being like, that's what they're doing without me. But I was way too young to go, but I wanted to be there. <laughs> yeah. I've, I mean, it. I wasn't there either, but I was in college. And it does feel so New York City, though, to me, this album. And I just wonder, like, what does New York think of a New York album? Like, I think this is a New York album, but like, what do New York people think? Well, I remember That's when... That's a good one, yeah. Yeah, we, we had recently uh, Matt LeMay, who was a born and bred New Yorker. He was in the store recently, uh, also a music journalist. And um, we were talking about the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. We were talking about the White Stripes. We were talking about like that that era of the, the you know, garage rock revival, th- this basically, the post-punk thing. And... He didn't. He didn't say specifically that the Strokes weren't in New York. In fact, I think he was saying how much Interpol and the Strokes and all these other things, huh? But you know what? I'm sorry. I'm having a million thoughts at once. <laughs> in that documentary I mentioned earlier, "Kill Your Idols," there's this amazing part where they're talking about like all these cool new bands that are coming up, like TV on the radio and uh, the Yeah Yeah Yeahs and. Um, 
whoever else, Interpol, uh, liars, blah, blah, blah. And then they hit this moment where they're like the strokes and now the strokes are big, boom, you know? And the thing that all of the original no wave musicians, people like Swans and Lydia Lunch and that whole group, Teenage Jesus and the Jerks, all that stuff, they were like, wait, where did the strokes come from? We know where the yeah, yeah, yeahs came from. We know where liars came from. We saw Interpol start here in like the 90s and like build into the band they are. The strokes to all of the New Yorkers in this documentary were like, no, they were an overnight success. So they were at least hmm. wary of them. They were like, where did you come from? We didn't see you coming up in the same places where we came up or where even all these new modern bands came up with. Where'd you come from? I remember that mm-hmm. that was part of this documentary. I'm not from New York, so I cannot comment on this, but that's what the documentary said. Interesting. Yeah. I feel like the vibe in New York is almost like either pe- people seem like they like they like the strokes and they're all kind of like one degrees from a stroke. Like you go to a party <laughs> and you hang out with Nikolai's brother or like like it's it's one of those things where you're kind of around people, but they it's almost like they don't want to they they're either very excited about it and they're like, yes, this moment happened. We were all there. Let's talk about it. Let's think about it. Like um, like Lizzie Goodman's book, Meet Me in the Bathroom. There's right. so many people I know that like wrote in that book and they really they love the strokes or they love Interpol or they love both. Some of them love neither. But um, I think a lot of people now, they're, it's almost like they, it's, I don't know if it's cool to be like a big fan of somebody that you're going to see just walking down the street almost. <laughs> right. Like, I don't know if it's New York City cool to admit that you're like a huge fan, but when they played um, the New Year's Eve show um, in Brooklyn, back when we could go to shows in Brooklyn, everybody was losing their shit. Everybody mm. was excited to be there. All these people were trying to go to the after party. So it's like, it's almost like, uh, having like a relative that's really cool, but you don't want their head to get too big, but it doesn't matter because everybody else already thinks they're cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the vibe I get. No, yeah. I, I follow that entirely. That's a great, great analogy. <laughs> I feel like also the Strokes did this thing and, and maybe, I don't know. I don't, maybe it's not the Strokes that did this, but I feel like they did where they kind of also made it about fashion a little bit. Mm. Where, but their fashion sense was almost like post punk in 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 vibe. It was like you know you have their leather jackets that maybe were mod or like glam rock, and then you had their like tight pants. Some of them are ripped, which is maybe a little bit punk. And then maybe they're like white sneakers, which are I don't know what that is, but like <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I kind of feel like they. Oh, maybe that was just their indie thing too yeah. with the white sneakers. They kind of were, their fashion sense was a thing. Yeah, and, I mean, Julian yeah. used to be a model. So, yeah. yeah. And they, they got a lot of coverage because of that like vintage aesthetic. And then people were like, why the fuck are you wearing hand me downs? Like your families all have a lot of money. <laughs> right. So they got a lot of backlash from that. Um, it's it's interesting when you dig into it. I think the album's actually turning twenty years old, so yeah. it's time oh, to yeah. revisit. Yeah, two thousand one. Yes, yeah. that's right. It's oh pretty gosh. wild. Um, I remember. I believe I read an article. This actually might have been in Lizzie Goodman's book, where it was about how 
uh, Julian Casablancas, and I want to say Fab Morietti, but I'm not sure. One of the other ma- major members of the Strokes. Didn't they meet in like a Swedish boarding school? And oh. It's like, of course. Where else do these bands meet? Swedish yeah. boarding school for rich kids. And it's... Yeah. You know, I, I think that actually has a part to do with perhaps in this documentary in particular, and perhaps some New Yorkers and just people in general, there is a resentment of the rich being successful. And I'm not saying that's fair or unfair, but it's there. Like, um, I think uh, Vampire Weekend feel, experiences the same thing. Like, they have like this country club aesthetic. And mm-hmm. no matter how good their albums are, there's going to be people who look at Vampire Weekend and go, stupid rich kids, you know, where it's... <laughs> That's got nothing to do with their sound, really. It's just aesthetics and its backstory. And it's probably just snobbery. There's there's probably something inside, even just all of us, probably, some, something mm-hmm. that's a, a bias where they, they want things to be authentic and they want people to work hard for it. And they want people to, um, I don't know, have, have like rags to riches. Riches to yeah. riches isn't a good story. <laughs> People don't like a riches to riches story for sure. No, authentic or not, though, the album slaps. Oh yeah, and I've seen them live so many times. But I saw them live on this tour, is this it tour in Nashville? This tiny, tiny bar. Oh, that's wonderful. And Julian was trashed, (laughs) falling over, knee walking, drunk. But man, he hit every note. He was so good. Yeah, yeah, he's a true performer for sure. Good stuff. Great wait, did, show. did you say this was your number two? That was number two. Oh, so we got one more ahead of this. One wow. more. Yeah, let's go for it. Let's just say it. Um, this is another one that we've already mentioned. Oh, all right. Some overlap. <laughs> from, yeah, from 2002. Interpol is the band. The album is Turn On The Bright Lights. So, yes, Seth, sorry, I didn't say much when you brought it up because I was like, I'm also going to say the same thing and I don't want to talk too much about it. But man, how about Paul Banks is like the embodiment of Ian Curtis's voice. Right. Yeah. Like so much so. It's also funny to me too. Um, All right. I'm going to forget this band's name because I didn't listen to them very much. Who is that new band that everyone called a Led Zeppelin ripoff? This was like within the last- Greta Van Fleet. Thank you, Greta Van Fleet. (laughs) I did not listen to Greta Van Fleet very much. I don't really have an opinion on them. But I remember there was a lot of backlash where people were like, fuck you. You can't just steal from Led Zeppelin. Fuck you. Like, I remember that. A lot of that. People didn't say that to Interpol for some reason. You know, and and I don't know why that is, why we were so willing to go, yes, a new Joy Division, thank you very much, please come in. And someone else goes, hi, we're Led Zeppelin now. You go, no, you're not welcome. Get out of here. Why? Why is that? Uh, I just want to say boomers. (laughs) That could be. That could be. (laughs) That's a good question. Yeah, I have, I need to like, honestly, like dismantle that in myself because right. I feel that way where I'm like, I'm not going to listen to Greta Van Fleet, but I'm very <laughs> much like Interpol, the second coming, he is risen. It's right. very, it's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Yeah. Because maybe it's know. because Joy Division was taken away from us. So there is, like, like like you just said, Erica, you just said, like, you know, he is risen. Maybe there is something almost biblical about Interpol, where it's like, oh, we thought you were gone forever. You were taken so tragically, and yet yeah. you're back. You've brought us. Look what you've brought us. Loaves and fishes, wine. <laughs> you know, this is great. 
maybe there is something like deeply mythical in like our like storytelling like you know needs where we're like yeah. yes I need this I need Ian Curtis to come back and bring me presents <laughs> I don't know I feel like um yeah those people who liked Led Zeppelin when they were younger said that about Greta Van Fleet but I'd I just haven't listened to them because that's not really what I listen to these days. Mm. But they're very popular, especially with a younger crowd who did not grow up with, maybe they did grow up with Led Zeppelin. Depends on what their dads or granddads are playing. But um, I don't know. I don't think it's really up to the parents or whoever like grew up, raised, you know, what, what they were listening to to say, no, that's too much like a band I used to like. It's the younger generation listening to that band and making them popular. Yeah, with they like it, and that was kind of with uh, I would say with us too with Interpol. No, you're you're probably right because I think all three of us were way too young. Actually, probably not even born when Ian Curtis died. Right? Like, what year did he die? Was it like 1981? I don't know. Oh, um, I don't actually, even know. Um, I'm not gonna look it up. Fuck Google. But I will say, we 1980. Were, okay, Sorry. but yes, like, like, oh, like yeah, we, no. we were not uh, uh, able to enjoy the first go around of Joy Division. So maybe maybe you're right, Tara. Maybe it's it's um, vicarious. It's like, yeah. oh, we didn't get Joy Division. We've only heard rumor of this wonderful yeah. Joy Division. So now it's our turn. And maybe, maybe that's, uh, yeah. you're, you're right. Like Greta Van Fleet fans now are going, hey, I didn't get Led Zeppelin, so this is my Led Zeppelin. Yeah. I, I've actually heard that analogy with, um, I don't think this is entirely fair, but between Chaim and the Eagles, people are calling oh. Chaim the new Eagles. And I don't know if that's a fair comparison. I don't think it is, but... Right. Yeah, just going back to the whole like Joy Division thing, maybe it's like that in... in um, in the UK, maybe those parents are the ones that are like, what is Interpol trying to do? But my parents were not cool enough to know who Joy <laughs> Division was. But they knew who Led Zeppelin was. So I don't know. Maybe it's an American thing, too. You know? Yeah. I don't know. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I, I don't think we have answers. As usual think, in this yeah, we record will. store, we, we, we... It's a good topic, though. We but I love talking about it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Well, well here, um, let, let's break down... Oh, but I didn't really oh, get to say. I was sorry, just going to say ahead. the... I love in this album how groovy the rhythm section is. Yeah. Um, the bass and drums on Interpol, uh, turn, off the bright, turn on the bright lights, is so incredible. The bassist is so incredible. I think it's Carlos D album. is their secret weapon. Like, uh, yeah. I, I'm not going to put down the band at all. I think every Interpol album is good, but they lost something when Carlos D left the band. When Paul Banks had to pick up the bass guitar and play instead, there, there's something different now. I'm not saying they're bad now, but no. it's different yeah. for sure. And then that album too felt so New York to me. Oh yeah, for sure. Oh yeah, I've definitely walked down the street listening to Obstacle One and like pretending oh. to be in a movie very dramatically. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I bet you felt so confident. Yeah, walking down the street listening to that in New I York. I did. I did. Hell yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> uh, anything Love else it. about uh, Inter Interpol before we no, move on to no. our short list? I just wanted to talk about their groovy rhythm section. Most definitely. <laughs> Well, let's talk about the artists that we wanted to include, but we couldn't just because a uh, uh, limiting to five. There's obviously people we had to leave off. Um, 
I really wanted to put uh, the decline of British sea power on here. I really like British oh. sea power, especially that first album. I wanted that on here. Uh, Fever to Tell was on my short list for sure. Uh, Bang Bang Rock and Roll by Art Brute. I wanted that on here. I really liked oh, the, that Art one. Brute. Uh, Annika that we mentioned before. I wanted her on here. And uh, 13 Songs by Fugazi. It seems slightly too old to be a part of the revival. Like it seems like mm. Fugazi was was proto post-punk. <laughs> proto post-punk. <laughs> they are punk. Oh, proto post-punk is one of the strangest <laughs> things I've ever said. And it's making my brain kind of fold inside out. <laughs> I'm going to think about proto post-punk for a while now. <laughs> um, uh, Erica, how about you? Was there anything that uh, you wanted to put on the list but couldn't quite fit? There was one album and it was my block party oh. and it was Banquet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I kept going back and forth. I was like, I kind of want to do it. I kind of, but yeah, fantastic album. If I could go back in time, maybe I would put it on, but here we are. Exactly. These lists are subjective and they change every minute of the day. Uh, Tara, how about you? Uh, speaking of proto, I put Proto Martyr on my short list. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, Preoccupations, Algiers was on here. I put Viagra Algiers. Boys. Yeah. I put Viagra Boys, even though I hmm. don't really listen to them because I think they're kind of silly. Like a lot of people love Wayne. I don't like Wayne because they're silly, <laughs> but they have some good songs. But I put Viagra Boys, Dry Cleaning, Goat yeah. Girl. Yeah. I tried to stick with the like newer one, like Revival Revival. Right. Like the modern um, yeah. revival. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. That's, Fantastic. Yeah. Well, we have we, uh, kept the store open longer than we should have. So let's uh, quickly get out of here. But the last thing we got to do is a quick restock of the employee recommendation shelf. Uh, very quickly, the album I'm putting up is just the album I'm enjoying the most right now. The album is called Music, and it is by Benny Sings. It's a sunny afternoon, but I need you Uh, this is a Dutch guy. He's from the uh, West Netherlands. Um, he's hitting my favorite vibe. There's this very particular feeling I enjoy in music, and it is upbeat but mellow. And when someone can accomplish that, it is such a magical feeling for me where um, I can relax to it but be happy. It's a happy relaxation. And um, like when... Um, <laughs> Like when real estate first came out, they gave me that vibe for oh, a little yeah. bit, upbeat but mellow. Mm -hmm. uh, when Mac DeMarco first came out, he gave me that vibe, that upbeat but mellow. And right now, Benny sings and his new album music, upbeat but mellow. And it's my vibe right now and I'm really enjoying it. Uh, Tara, what do you want to put on the wall? I am going to put M. Sage, his new album, The Wind of Things. It's with the Spindaker Ensemble, it's ambient, there's chimes, there's birds, there's strings, there's guitar. Like, it's perfect. It's such a good ambient album. Um, put out by our friends, Geographic North. Um, Farbod again. Imps, yeah, Farbod, the homie Farbod. Um, and then M. Sage is Chicago-based, but yeah, he's so great. Everything he touches is, is golden. Love it. Uh, now, Erica, I know you don't work here, but we'd love your taste. Would you please put something on the employee recommendation shelf? I would love to. Thank you. I'm going to go with this artist called Kenny Hoopla. He's more 
post-punk than post-punk revival, but he is an amazing punk artist. Um, I think he's a lot bigger in the UK right now than he is here, but I've talked to him recently and he's just fantastic. His music is really gritty. He has this EP called, I hope I'm getting this right. How can I, how will I rest in peace if I'm buried by a highway? Um, the lead track is also named that wow. and it's just it reminds me of TV on the radio and it reminds me of Block Party. It's just like very gritty, very punk and it just makes my heart swell that people are still making this music so well and that we can continue to revive the revival after revival. So <laughs> yeah. hoopla. That's great. I've never heard that. So I'm looking forward to listening to it. Uh, man, I love a good recommendation. So this is great. Yeah, um, this is great. But anyway, uh, Erica, thank you so much for coming in today. Um, I'm going to have to go check out your website to make sure I've read everything you've ever written. That's uh, <laughs> that's CampbellErica.com, right? That is. And just start from the top and then read every single thing. <laughs> You're going to have to. I I um, <clears throat> got the Room on Fire, Vile Me Please record. So I'm excited to read the liner notes. Now yeah. Oh, my gosh. You that's wrote dope. them. That's so yes. cool. That's fantastic. Uh, so anyway, we're up past uh, our closing time, so we definitely got to get out of here. But thanks for coming into the, the store, everyone, all you customers. Uh, extra thanks to you, Erica. But the store is officially closed. Happy trails, everyone. Until we meet again. Record Store Society is hosted by Tara Davies and Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you'd like to contact the show, you can send an email to recordstoresociety at iheartmedia.com. Or you can find us on all your favorite social media sites with the handle at Record Store Society. Record Store Society is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. You've been planning this for months. Hope you're wearing your long johns today, hunters. Gonna be nippy out there. The big day is finally here. Welcome to opening day here at Sportsman's Warehouse. This is your big shot to gear up for Unforgettable at the Sportsman's Warehouse Grand Opening, Thursday through Sunday, October 14th through the 16th, off Summit Park Drive near Walmart. Or visit us at sportsmans.com. I'm Colleen Wolf from Thursday Night Football and Good Morning Football Weekend. And I'm Ricky Hollywood from Around the NFL and the broadcast. On our new podcast, Split Ends, Ricky and I will be coming to you every week to talk about all the important and unimportant storylines in the football world. Join us for the stories on and off the field that matter. And some don't, but we think they're interesting, so we're going to talk about them anyway. We'll break down games, news stories, tweets, interviews, whatever it takes to cover the ins and outs of the NFL world. We're here to talk you through it. Just a couple of best friends talking ball. Listen to Split Ends on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My best friend is an Irish heiress. She was royalty from Ireland. Had a huge inheritance. We're talking $30 million. But it turns out Mayor Smith is actually an international con artist, and police are hunting for her. She's left a trail of devastation in her wake. This is not normal to be outside her place. I would rather die than let her get away. 
Listen to Queen of the Con every Thursday on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.